0: be pleased to chapter three of chapter three of Daniel I particularly like us to consider verses 16 to 18 this is at the heart of what we have in this chapter really Shadrach Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king O Nebuchadnezzar we are not careful to answer thee in this matter if it be so our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand O king but if not be it known unto thee O king that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up also verse 25 he answered and said lo I see four men loose Walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no heart, and the form is the fourth. The of the fourth is like the Son of God. Well, this is the word of the Lord, and may he bless our meditation upon it this morning. Well, these young believers well, they were probably quite young, they had a tough time in Babylon. It was uh, from the captivity of 586 BC they were taken captive to Babylon. And there was, as we read in chapter 1, a certain brainwashing that took place, or was attempted with them. The brainwashing of Chaldean education. I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I wonder if you've heard of purpose-driven advertising. Purpose-driven advertising something which applies to the present media, news and education. It works this way. There's a subtle brainwashing goes on when adverts for particular products are couched in a way that carries with them a social message. Like, for example, concerning diversity or um, uh, equality. And we're well advised to watch out when we look at adverts, and initially you've no idea what the product is about. If you were given the first part of an advert, you might be puzzled as to what is being advertised. And you have to be very careful that there isn't some underlying, subversive, purpose driven advertising going on. Same with the selection of items for news, for example often purpose-driven social pressure on a particular issue (coughs) that is prominent in society for which we are to be softened up. Well, there's nothing new under the sun, you see. In chapter 2, there was the threat of death averted only by prayer and the Lord revealing the king's dream to Samuel. Anyway, here are these three men whose story is picked up in chapter 3. For some reason, Daniel is not not there. You'd have noticed this. Daniel is not there, and we're not told why he is not there. Was he somewhere else in the kingdom? We're not told. However, there are valuable lessons for us from the experience of these three men uh, in this alien soil. A question for our day and for their day, whether you're young or old, is this. How can believers cope when they find themselves in an alien situation which is in conflict with the law of God and the teaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you cope with this? And it's in this area that we have many lessons in this lengthy but instructive chapter and the reaction of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to what was going on and what was being required of the king, of the powers that be. I want to open this up looking at three things And the first is this, the conformity required. The conformity required. We have this essentially in the first eight verses. That is to say, the conformity required by the state, as it was represented there through Nebuchadnezzar and those who were supporting him. So the conformity required. Notice the powerful and coercive influence of the machinery of government. In Babylon, in some in some ways the issue seems trivial—a huge image of gold, 90 feet high and nine feet wide. That's not far, actually, from the dimensions of what is known as the Cleopatra's Needle on the embankment of the Thames in London. I don't know if you've been there or seen it or visited it, but it's 70 feet high. It's not so wide as nine feet, I dare say, or at least maybe. Not certainly in the bottom; it would be at the foot. It would be, but it's a similar sort of dimensions. At any rate, in this case, the uh, all the nation's VIPs are sent for to take part in a service of dedication. We have it described in verses two and three, and then verses four to seven outline the command of the king in that connection. <coughs> it's deadly serious. Bow down to the image. No exceptions. No exceptions. Otherwise, what are the consequences? Death will be the consequence. It's deadly serious. So the question might be asked, why was the king so severe? Why was the government so severe? It's a bit like having jail for speaking out for traditional Bible-based marriage or indulging in what somebody describes and interprets as hate crimes, which is a very subjective and mutable term. Opposition to homosexual practices, for instance, land people in trouble, and hate crimes. Why so severe? Well, it comes down then and now to sheer authority. If the state decrees, you disobey to your peril. However much the decrees may conflict with the law of God and his word. We are are encouraged to to be compliant with government, but when it is conflicting with the law of God or his word, that is a different situation. And we're coming into a society very like this Babylonian society nowadays where it is perilous uh, to conflict with the state decrees in matters which are contrary to the law of God. In Babylon, it's clear that the majority of the Jewish exiles were prepared to go along with this decree. After all, historically, they've been used to going along with the trends of neighbouring governments or neighbouring nations. How often they trampled on their own laws even after the exodus from Egypt and it opened them up to the rejection by the Lord it opened them up to the judgment and chasing of the Lord but still they complied with the other nations especially was this true of the northern kingdom of Israel which had gone into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 BC and these were the lost tribes they never were restored how easy it is to excuse our disobediences to the divine word when the issues are perceived to be small this is a common ploy of the evil one of course so that the reaction might be well we might bow to the image but we don't need to hold to what they are doing we don't need to stand on that issue. We might say, we don't have the state requiring worship of an image, that is true, but make no mistake, there is pressure upon all professing Christians and churches to deviate from the word of God in one respect or another. We've mentioned marriage, sexual orientation, in which mainline churches in our nation have conceded to ungodly social pressures and perverse legislation that amounts to social engineering, which is common today with the state authorities. There's 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 huge pressure to conform to the new standards of a society which has turned its back on God, which has turned its back on the Lord Jesus Christ and Christian religion. We often read in the Christian press. We often read in the Christian press of persecution of Christians in Islamic countries and atheistic countries. And our hearts go out to believers in such situations. We're glad that we don't live in such parts of the world, like China or Saudi Arabia, for instance. We're glad of that. But here we are, in a positively secular environment in our country, in which the Ten Commandments and the Christian faith are not the basis for our moral standards, our moral values. What is required of us? What is required of us? What is required of you and me? Well, not going along with modern moral mantras and being prepared for the cost. They are an example to us, these young men. Samuel so Raleigh put it this way. He said, You will not get leave to steal quietly into heaven in Christ's company without a conflict and a cross. And this includes whatever, whenever uh, and however the opportunity or occasion arises, speaking out for Christ, speaking out for truth and righteousness. It may be about the sanctity of sex and marriage or abortion, the sanctity of the Sabbath the truth and infallibility of the word of God as a standard for life, the Ten Commandments and so on. And Christ as the only saviour, the exclusive saviour, standing out for him above all. It may be bearing the cross of sneering and ridicule and ostracism, of being thought narrow-minded or perish thought old-fashioned. Yes, we have an empathy with these three young believers in this chapter and for sure we can learn from their reaction in the social situation in which we are called to follow Christ as the salt of the earth and the lights of the world for him. That's what you are to be in your day and generation, in your life, among your family and communities, salt on the earth and light of the world. So this is the first thing we find here, the conformity required, the conformity in something that is not godly or righteous. But notice the second place, the compromise resisted, the compromise resisted. We have this in verses 9 to 18, particularly these three verses, 16 to 18. Now, these young believers had already resisted the pressure to compromise their faith. We see this in chapter 1. What happened as described in chapter 1 was a test. And the truth is, if they hadn't taken a stand, they wouldn't have stood here. If they hadn't taken a stand then, they wouldn't have stood here. Imagine the scene. Here's a great crowd. A great crowd. The music starts up and everyone falls to the ground. Oh, except these three young believers. They stand out like a sore thumb. They stand out like a sore thumb. Did the powers that be in Babylon think that that was a minor thing not meriting punishment. <clears throat> oh, they're just these three men and they didn't, they didn't bow down to this image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We can live with that. Well, they couldn't. They couldn't. You can imagine a fellow Jew saying something like this. Come on, just bow. You'll get us a bad name. You'll get us a bad name. Obviously, they were con- conspicuous by their non-conformity or non-compliance with the dictates of the Babylonians (coughs) more to the point the king to whom this uh, this disobedience is reported well he is furious, furious could be more furious verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego then they brought these men before the king very, very dark They're brought before him. They're threatened. So what would they do? What would you do? Supposing you were there. Put yourself in their position. What would you do? Raises the question, you see. What does your religion mean to you? Well, we admire these men, of course. But would you and I emulate them? This is searching. And it says, well, we're searched about it because of the climate in which is growing and the darkness that is growing around us. And the antagonism there is to the moral law of God. <coughs> what do they do? What does the Lord require of us in our religion these days? <coughs> Well, we have what they did in verses 16 to 18. These are challenging for us, aren't they, these verses? Don't you feel that as you set your heart and you look at what these men did, how they stood, and how they refused to compromise? Isn't there too much lukewarmness with us? Half-heartedness. And maintaining the faith of the Bible with a good conscience and diligence. What do they say? There's no need for us to answer, they said. There's no need for us to answer. That is what it means. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. There's no need for us to answer, they said. Remember, they faced the burning, fiery furnace. Surely they'll pull back. Wouldn't we pull back if we were faced with a burning fiery furnace? There's an amusing story told that illustrates the peril of compromise. It's a rather amusing story, but uh, it's got a very serious point to it. And here's, here, 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 here's the story. It, 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 it involves a hunter who is out hunting for bears. And he comes across one. He lifts up his little rifle and he aims it at the bear. Right? But the bear, seeing him, this bear is able to speak, you see, speaks with a soft, soothing voice. Isn't it better to talk than to shoot, says the bear to the man. What do you want? Let's negotiate this. The hunter lowers his rifle and he says to the bear, I'm for a fur coat, I'm after a fur coat. Good, replies the bear, I'm only after a full stomach. Let's strike a compromise. So they sit down and talk. After a while, the bear walks away alone. No no sight or sound of the hunter anymore. The bear had a full stomach and the hunter had a fur coat. Rarely, rarely do compromises satisfy both sides equally we listen to verse 18. We cannot help but be deeply impressed and challenged. But if not, if we're not delivered from this fiery furnace, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. That's the crunch for them. The Lord might or might not deliver them from the fiery furnace, but if not, we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image. No yielding to biblical, gospel, godly standards or Christ standards. In the New Testament, in the Acts of the Apostles, the apostles were faced with, uh, faced with um, threats. More than once, they were threatened with punishment if they didn't keep quiet about Jesus and the resurrection and his claims. Our reforming and covenanting forefathers were were pressed, were pressed. Similarly, from the state, faced the wrath of the state if they did not conform to the prevailing unbiblical values of the elite. The response. Acts 5, 29 we ought to be a God rather than man we ought to obey God rather than men here are where people with courage and conviction how do we compare or should we say how do we contrast with the convictions of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego in this desperate situation Ah, but Christ is able. says Paul to the Philippians, I can do all things through the one through Christ who strengtheneth me. An enduring lesson from these three young believers is that they weren't afraid to stand up and be counted for the Lord. And this is a call and a challenge to our day, young and old, to stand up for the Lord and be counted. That is practical faith driven by convictions. Are we conscious of religious convictions these days or has there been a sliding from them? Because it's easy to slide into prevailing attitudes and mores and not make a nuisance of ourselves when faced with challenges to biblical faith. In one sermon, Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, Let the heavens fall, but let the good man and woman be obedient to his and her master and loyal to the truth. O man of God, be just and fear not. The consequences are with God and not with thee. That's exactly the position of these men. The consequences are with God and not with thee. And with that, we are content. Here's, you see, here's a question. Here's a question, a vital question for any church. What keeps a church testimony alive? What will keep the testimony of our church, this church, your congregation, alive? We may say, God's work, yes or Christ working through the Spirit, and that is true, or the vitality of important prayer, and that is true also. These are right, but in terms of the experience of the church in this world, surely this is to be sought, courage and conviction of divine truth, such as where it was displayed by these men that, that day in Babylon. So there is then the compromise resisted. But then, thirdly and lastly, notice the consequences resulting. We have it in verse 19 and following. The consequences resulting, that is to say, for both parties. Two consequences arise from the action against these young believers. Obviously, there is what affects them, but there is also the impact of the outcome upon the king. We have that in verses 26 and 30 so far as the king is concerned. <coughs> For the young men, things were about as bad as they could get. You can understand this. Fiery furnace. Seven times hotter than normal, we read in verse 19. The king expected instant instant cremation of these men. Pretty well. Instead, we read in verse 25 of a fourth figure who appears and what might have been the death knell for these men and for biblical faith becomes a testimony to the power of God it was an irony I suppose in the eyes of the world miraculously preserved miraculously preserved and the fourth figure like the son of God we might say that this was a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. My dear friends, although things may get very low, and surely they were low then, and surely they are low today, for we are surrounded by spiritual and moral darkness in our day. There's no doubt about that. But although that is so think of what's happened in countries which were antagonistic which were antagonistic to Christian faith for example China and Iran little known, in Albania where no church buildings were allowed no books or li- and libraries advocating God and faith were allowed Christianity was obliterated in Albania no in China is Christianity obliterated no When change came on the Eastern Bloc in 1991 churches emerged purges in education didn't work what the devil couldn't do in atheistic Albania he seems to be accomplishing in Britain today Church buildings are closing at such a rate can't be sustained and that is without persecution so the question is, how many are standing up for Christ? This is the challenge here in chapter 3 and with these three young men. And in all the consequences of our standing up for Christ, we stand up for him. He stands with us. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Nebuchadnezzar naturally is astonished. Naturally. He's awe-stricken. Was he converted? You would, well, we would say not at this point. Arguably, arguably, we have a very great change in him inwardly in chapter 4. Nevertheless, the reality and power of the true and living God impacts upon him. Impacts upon him. One thing is sure, though, in the churches and among professing Christians, half-heartedness and compromise of biblical truth will not do Let there be consistency and enthusiasm for our Saviour. If we cannot get enthusiastic about biblical faith and life, of biblical doctrine and practice, and of the life of God in the soul, if we cannot get enthusiastic about the truth as it is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of God's Word, then what is the faith worth to us? Where is the enthusiasm for these things? Let there be consistency and enthusiasm for the Saviour and his word. There in Babylon, continuance of a true witness to the living God hinges on that word that we have. In verse 18, Be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. In other words, there is to be no submission to the gods of this age. The first loyalty, what is our first loyalty, what is your first loyalty? It is to Christ, to Christ and his gospel. Someone has said that the place of unparalleled heat is the place of unparalleled fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something reflected literally in the fiery furnace narrative that we have here. He will be with us as we pass through the fiery trial as Peter teaches in his first letter. Fear not. Just be faithful to Christ. Just be faithful to Christ. Keep the Lord's word consistency, consistently in your family, in your community, in your own heart of life, whatever the cost may be. Considering the, consider the closing lessons of these young men. First of all, this is clear. They had confidence <laughs> in the power of God. That's shines brightly over this narrative they had confidence in the power of God if so be our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace but if not be it known unto thee that we will not serve thy gods our God is able they said verse 17 this was their conviction We likewise are to have the confidence and conviction about this absolute sovereignty of God over all things, including all those elites who are in the corridors of power and who wish to impose things which are clearly at variance with what God has revealed. And then they were submissive to the revealed word of God. Not only did they have confidence in the power of God, but they were submissive what he had revealed. Remember Job though he slay me I will trust him here were men who had a clear grasp of God's claims upon their lives and they lived that out and Christ makes his overcoming faithful saints victorious doesn't he say at the end of chapter 16 in John's Gospel These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise him. Praise his name. We have a sovereign saviour who is able to deliver us from the gods of this age, only to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand for Christ, for truth, for righteousness. And may he bless these thoughts upon his word. Let us pray. <coughs> Gracious Lord, we are thankful for the testimony of Scripture concerning, concerning those who are convicted about thy sovereignty and power. And we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst give us such conviction and reliance upon what thou hast revealed, whatever the cost may be, Help us, Lord, to be faithful to Jesus. Help us to love him with our whole heart and help us to be godly and holy people in this world that we may show forth the praises of the one who has brought us from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Hear us then, we pray, and forgive all sin for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. let us sing in conclusion in psalm number 26 and verses 1 to 7 psalm 26 number verses 1 to 7 judge me O Lord for I have walked in mine integrity I trusted also in the Lord's slight therefore shall not I examine me And do me prove, try heart and reins, O God, for thy love is before mine eyes, (coughs) thy truth's path I have trod. And so on down to verse seven, to the praise of the Lord. Judge me, O God, for I have walked in mine integrity. Judge me, O Lord, for